Welcome to The Last Rung, a light-hearted podcast for the self-employed, getting to the heart of the many influences that can help you to thrive in your solo life and make the switch from an employed to a self-employed mindset. Unedited and uncensored, the inspirational chats with those who have taken the leap will provide realistic actions for you to take away, the chance to learn from others' experiences and help you see that you are not alone, even when working from the spare bedroom in your PJs and fluffy slippers and you haven't left the house for days. I'm Helen Hill, author of Falling Off the Ladder, owner of learning design business Unlikely Genius, business coach and co-founder of environmental initiative Be The Future. I'm now on a mission to help the self-employed really embrace the freedom that allows them to be fully themselves, to thrive and to leap off the last rung of the career ladder for the final time. Come and say hello at fallingofftheladder.com or over on Instagram where you can find me as Falling Off The Ladder. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you like this episode. But first, let's introduce you to this week's guest. My guest today is Erin Chamberlain. Erin is a book consultant and editor who has worked for traditional trade publishers for nearly 20 years. Bad books hurt her soul. And I'll take that as a compliment because she worked with me on Falling Off The Ladder. Erin started out selling books in a bookshop and has worked across most areas of publishing, including editorial, commissioning, production and sales. She is passionate about bringing ideas into the world and supporting authors to create books that will have an impact and change lives. She's the founder of the Right Now Experiment, which is writing accountability spaces where she writes with you and is on hand to answer your writing and publishing questions, which also happens to be the space in which I wrote most of Falling Off the Ladder. I also went on to hire Erin as my mentor through the writing process and as my editor. Born in Sydney, Australia, now in London, she's a mum to three and loves to lift heavy weights and hates to run. Today we're talking about going from hiring freelancers to being one, the power of writing a book for your business, and the mindset you need to write the book within you. Welcome to The Last Wrong, Erin. Oh, thank you. It's very exciting to be here. Oh, it's um, lovely to have you here, especially as part of the a big part of the book journey. So yeah. marvellous to have you here. So we'll get into that in a moment. I learned so much actually about my own journey reading and editing your book along the way. So. <laughs> oh well that's good. <laughs> I didn't know that actually. Oh well. Did oh, you know? I think no, that no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh intrigued. Fab. Well to start us off then do you want to tell us about your journey in self-employment and what led you going there? Yeah so I always wanted to work in books like always um I didn't have my own library like some people did where you know stamping <laughs> their books in and out and all of that but um I did a project when I was in um sort of year eight when I was about 13 or 14 about how a book is made I did my work experience at HarperCollins Publishers I went into retail and worked in a bookstore I was very focused on a job in publishing um and then I got that I, I went to uni I stayed working at the bookstore um I got a job in publishing in Sydney in Australia and then publishing turns out to be one of those things which is a freelancer driven profession so it's one of those public. It's one of those um, one of those jobs where, if you're doing really well, um, you hire loads of people who have been freelancing for you, and they come in house, and then accounts freak out and say that your overheads <laughs> are too high. <laughs> yeah, 
and then they sack everybody but the work doesn't go away <laughs> so yeah. you end up hiring freelancers in order to make the work um happen so my entire career I've always worked with freelancers um and then you know I I, I got made redundant from my job so that's the swings and roundabouts thing um yeah. I was one of the cuts um it was a nice cut um my boss said to me I don't think that I think you're at the end of the road here at this company because I can't give you your next step up in your career. Um, so I got a stack of money into my bank account in Sydney. I was 26. All of my friends were getting married around me and I decided to travel instead. <laughs> so I moved over here to the UK, got another job. Um, that job went into um, a work permit. Um, that job was a bit of a nightmare. Um, <laughs> to put it lightly yeah. um, one of my one of my colleagues who's actually quite high up in publishing now on his very first day in the office built his own desk that's the kind of place <laughs> this publishing house was um, I was one of the stable um people in the company I guess because I probably had Stockholm syndrome because they had my work permit um, and over the course of the four or five years I was there with, and considering it's about four or five people working in the office, I had 30, more than 30 colleagues cycling in and out, um, plus the freelancers. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so I left that job in the end and it wasn't a good ending either. Um, it should have been, it was all set up to be, but it didn't work out that way. Um, and then I just sort of started doing my own thing. I did, I did a bit of freelancing. Um, one of the books, one of the series of books that we worked on at that publishing house in London, um, they had quite a, they had a sex list. And um, some of my friends knew that. So they put me in touch with somebody um, who since became a, um, a client for a little while on in my right now experiment group um, but she hired me for my very first freelancing job which was for oh Anne Summers oh right <laughs> Anne Summers erotica and it did not go well that was a bit <laughs> of a step too far for me and and editing sex and erotica I guess um, but so the freelancing was sort of on and off um, I, I did some um, voluntary stuff for my church, which, you know, goes hand in hand with the sex. Um, <laughs> yeah, very complimentary. <laughs> well niched. <laughs> and then, I, then my kids came along. I've got three. Um, and actually, I started working on my health. And when I started working on my health and working with a coach, she said to me, um, I don't know why you just don't start helping people write their own books and self-publish them because I was in a freelancer mindset you know I, I had all these skills these publishing skills and the way you use them is you sit around waiting for a publisher <laughs> to have too much work to do and get in touch right mm -hmm. or you pitch I wasn't actually at that pitching point um, but mostly it's who you know with getting jobs in in publishing mm -hmm. and um and this coach, Anna, said to me, I don't know why you don't do this. 
so I started doing that. I mean, very slowly, very, very tentatively. Um, I had no idea what I was doing because I was a pure freelancer. And then I became self-employed. And I mean, they sound the same, but in my head, they're completely different because it's just a completely different way of finding work. Mm. Um, And now I'm what? Coming up to three years in of being self-employed, like, you know, with like a limited company and all of that stuff. Um, And I'm just about feeling like I'm there. I mean, you know, it's not been a great idea to become self-employed over the course of a pandemic when you've got three kids. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And the time's right, the time's right, even, you know, (laughs) pandemic aside, the rest of the stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, that it's a messy story, but that's um they're the highlights, I guess. Yeah, but it's really interesting how you've you've done all that and like you say, those conflicting first jobs, because I think when you say about the Stockholm syndrome thing, that made me laugh actually, because even now, like you know, nearly four years in for me and stuff, you can still sometimes end up in a contract with a client and then you know, a month later you're thinking, Oh, what am I doing? Why am I doing this one? But you're stuck in with that contract and you mm. even now you can get that, can't you? Of, of just well, I've just got to see this through to the end of whatever month and and then I'm okay. And I can I can be free. I mean it happens with self-employment too, if you're not super discerning about yeah. take on, you know, that whole kind of anybody's money will do kind of coach Mm. um and and it comes I guess a bit from you know scarcity and lack and not feeling like you know where your next client is going to come from and you know becoming who you think the client needs to be but when you're out of integrity with yourself and when you have taken on somebody who isn't a good fit for you I've come to the conclusion that it's better to say no, to not be in those kind of Stockholm syndrome situations. Mm. That's hard to say three times fast. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a situation there. (laughs) Which, to be fair, is a good word for it. (laughs) Indeed, it is, isn't it? Maybe that should be a a new hashtag. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm writing that one down on my list. I just (laughs) yeah no that's true though but I think even when you take on something that you and, and this is something I talk about in one of my my courses and stuff because sometimes you can think right I'm going to niche I only want to work for for example healthcare I'm going to stay in that that's my dream client that's what I want to do but actually the project can be right but the client can still be a bloody nightmare or mm-hmm. vice versa they can be an amazing client but the project is dull or it's not going anywhere or and you can still end up with that can't you so it's no matter how discerning you are, you're still going to get some of that in in your freelance career. Um, I've certainly been there anyway. <laughs> no matter yeah. what things you're putting up front, whatever policies you you can end up there. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one that because I and I think I increasingly realise that the people make a big difference for me. That I can write yeah. about a topic that is not necessarily my favourite as long as I get on with the team and I'm energised by it. Um, though I have just niched so just, that stamps all of that one doesn't it hmm, what am I thinking about that but, it, but yeah. it, it, I think it's a bit of both that the people make it but also you need to have done enough inner work I think to know what your values are and, mm. your, and where your personal integrity lies and you also maybe need to not 
if and if you're feeling desperate about where the next client is coming from which you know happens to all of us if the money's tight or whatever um it is really easy to make the wrong decision and to go slightly against your instinct and your mm. yeah it's it anyway it, it's one to definitely it, I it's I think the person um you know from my situation if I'm choosing to work with somebody if I have some red flags then I need to stop and take them seriously mm. um, because working with somebody where the red flags have been there from the start is going to be harder even though it feels easier than just taking their money at the start yeah. right oh yeah yeah and I think some something I was talking about recently was that idea of if you are taking something on and you've got a red flag from the beginning, you start that project with a certain level of resentment and a lot of negative energy. Whereas the difference with that and starting a project where you're like, I'm excited, I'm raring to go, I really, that that can actually have a huge impact on your project. Even though you might try yeah. hiding it, you don't generally, because you don't enjoy it because you're waiting for what's going to happen, don't you? You're yeah. thinking like, oh, when is this all going to go wrong? So it, yeah, the red flags are something that are definitely worth learning to pick up for sure. And I mean, we're all still learning, I think, with that one. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. everyone, I mean, you, even if you are, I reckon, 10 years in, there'll still be those kinds of projects and those kinds of um, clients oh. that come along your way. And, and it really kind of depends on, you sometimes probably feel how you're feeling that day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, was it? I think it was Sally Fox who we were talking in her episode about, you know, with women, you know, like some days you should just be allowed to turn down meetings because it's like you can have the hormonal crabby bitch today or you can have pleasant me next week, which do you want? <laughs> <laughs> That's, and it's the same for anything. Like, you know, some days you can just wake up, you're exhausted, you're stressed. I look, you I look at my space. launches like that, you know, I, I look at the weeks that I've got available if I'm going to launch something. And if I can, I will look for the weeks that I'm more likely to be energetic than crabby and grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> There's an extra consideration for us women that the men didn't know. <laughs> well, they probably didn't know. <laughs> but you're not planning your business around it. Well, um, so when, when you're talking about having worked with a lot of freelancers and stuff, did that help you when you were setting out for yourself, like have a good idea of how to get going? Yeah, I guess it did. I, I knew... I think that the key thing with being a freelancer is knowing who to get your CV in front of or who to network with or who's the person who's actually responsible for farming out the edit or um, getting the, you know, who who hires the proofreaders, um, that kind of thing. And you need to, you know, you need to have your CV or you need to have had a mini chat with them um, so that they know who you are. I mean, to be honest, I've been lucky. <laughs> I um, My first company that I worked for is a quarto company, which is a big packaging company. So um, big international company, what they do is they create a book from concept um, through and then deliver it to a publishing house. So they make the book, but they create it in such a way that it looks like the publishing house has made it. They deliver the book to the warehouse and then the publisher is responsible for the sales and distribution, oh. um, 
which is why I do what I do and I am so mm. strong in what I do what I do because my entire publishing career has been seeking the author, helping them create the table of contents, coming up with the sample, um, coming up with the sample design, selling the concept before you actually create the book. Um, that's that's what I've done whenever I've been employed. Um, so I and that kind of situation, you know, is, is ups and downs. It depends on how many books um, you sell for your program at the Frankfurt Book Fair um, for the coming year. So there's going to be um, some ups and downs because it very much depends on the sales team and the relationships that the publisher and the sales director have. Um, so, you know, freelancers are in and out depending on how many jobs you've got on, how many books mm-hmm. you've got on. So I used to hire freelancers in-house. I used to know who would hire freelancers in-house. So I had my CV apparently in some people's drawers. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one day out of the blue, I had a call from a company that's based in Brighton saying, oh, we found your CV. I thought, oh, great. I don't remember sending it to you. Here's all the work that's coming. So that was a whole stack of proofreads, Um that sort of lasted for about nine or 12 months. Um, I've got another friend who is the rights director at Macmillan Children's Books. Um, Part of Macmillan does packaging, Kingfisher Illustrated um, does packaging. Um, She was like, they're looking for someone to come in house. You could do that, come in and meet Jane. (laughs) So it is is a whole lot of who you know and getting Mm. your getting your CV under the right eyes and and pricing yourself at the right level mm. because in publishing it's probably 28 to 35 quid an hour and there isn't much wiggle room around that um, and they will probably do their best to beat you down. We're <laughs> <laughs> still going at 35. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting actually because I've been talking to someone about like the translation industry and they're very similar that it is a very set rate it's very hard to raise your rates which obviously at the moment with cost of living going up and that that's making it very hard for freelancers because those rates are not going up for them but costs are and yeah I'm quite grateful I'm in an industry where I basically have to pluck air with thin air (laughs) right (laughs) I'm doing this and I'm upping it this week but I mean obviously there's still a cap but the people will pay but I haven't found it yet. I still need to up it because I've not got to know yet. Amazing. <laughs> Publishing's a very female-dominated industry. It's got cats. Uh, yes, good point. Yes, whereas I'm in a male, male-dominated. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's and they've point. also, you know, they've got their prices rising everywhere. There's, you know, one of the main um, paper mills is divesting four of their... Um, book paper creation mills papers going up oh yeah and it will go up for self-publishers um it will go up for for the entire industry um Mm. there's more money for the mills to be made in packaging um rather than in paper creation paper's going to get more expensive books are going to get more expensive and there's actually i read an interesting article the other week about um books are really priced quite low compared to other entertainment um, 
options, I guess. I mean, it's the same for films, really. Like, you know, mm. they pour millions of millions of pounds into their production costs for films, and yet we go to the cinema and pay, gosh, I haven't been for ages, £9, £15? How much does it cost to go to the cinema? I haven't been for years either. But, yeah, I think depending on where you go, if you go to one of the chains, it's about nine, ten quid. But if you go to, like, one of the little independents, you pay more. But um, Yeah, you know, yeah. you pay ten quid for 90 minutes worth of entertainment plus, mm. you know, 15 pounds for popcorn and um <laughs> <laughs> and you know and books you know books are five hours of entertainment and yet you're paying somewhere between well sometimes 99p for a book right. um sometimes you know I mean you you found that with pricing your your book didn't you um yeah 16.99 was where it started to start making some profit putting the yeah. colour in made it make no profit. Um, yeah, for the full print. Yeah, uh, for the If I did that as, as the only production, which is why it had to be a limited edition, that was the only way to do some of the colour ones. Um, but even then, like printing the grayscale and, you know, and I go in and getting advice and stuff, and they were all saying, don't go above 11.99, don't go. And it was just like, but the costs are astronomical. So, yeah, I make like, I think it's gone down to about £1.40 something now per book, which is mm. crazy. But... Yeah, like, I mean, we've had the conversation many a time, haven't we, that your book is not what's going to be your money generator at the end of the day. It's the stuff that comes off the back of it and the business and the, you know, yeah. in my case, the coaching. The, not that I thought I was going to be a coach until... No, that was an ago. interesting journey for you. I loved being... I loved watching that journey. I remember saying to you um, right back at the start, mm. well, it might be really nice if... Um, if you could do some mentoring off the back of this book, I could see you, um, you know, really, ha- and you were like, mentors don't get paid anything. I'll be doing that for free. I don't have time to do that. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're becoming like a full-on proper coach. Well, yeah, but you, you did say at one point as well, I can see you being a coach in the next like three years or something. And I was like, oh, and I remember going, oh, shut up, no way. <laughs> and then I walked away and went, oh, <laughs> because someone else had commented as well at the time that she just asked me for some advice about the e-learning industry and stuff and then she'd written this post in a network saying Helen if you ever decide to become a live coach I'm going to be your first client kind of thing and so like the combination of two I was like well let's just have a look at this coaching thing (laughs) but I suppose it's like you said with your coach saying like you know you should go and mentor writers and stuff it's like it's funny how just a conversation from someone else's perspective can kind of make you go oh yeah maybe this is an option for me this is a this is a thing and I mean me saying no I'm not doing mentoring because it's free the amount of free stuff I do now between the podcast the book the men- yeah mentoring all I don't sorts know if that stuff. was actually what you were thinking well I mean you, you, at the time you might have been thinking um oh I couldn't mentor people I don't know um I don't know if the cost was a, was the thing you know the- I think there was a whole wealth of things going on there that are time money <laughs> <laughs> who am I to mentor anyone who am I to coach anyone yeah but it's because the book was a massive journey for you your your yeah. perspective and that's what I love about like sometimes a book can really cement for the author that they love what they're doing and they're doing what they're doing and they want to help more and more people do what they do and say the same things over and over again um <laughs> Other times, the book is like this gateway to finding out 
really what you would love to do with your life. And, you know, sometimes it's, it, it stops you on the path that you thought you wanted to be on and therefore the book might stop. So one of the people that was going through the process with you at the time, um, you know, she found out through writing her book that she didn't want to be working with the kind of person she was writing her book to in the next five years, whereas you found out that you wanted to focus more on the people that you were writing to, that you really had a wealth of experience and, you know, probably nearly all the tools. I'm sure that your coaching course has been amazing and has helped you a lot. Um, but you could have gone in there and just been a mentor to start off with. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm my coaching that style naturally is very much a, a hybrid mentor coach. Um, and I mean, for the qualification, we have to be a pure coach. So all those I was, I, I do have to do the, the very strict PCC, uh, FCC guidelines and all of that of, of just coaching. But I have found that in the sessions I've been running with freelancers that. I think naturally when you're working with other business owners and they're attracted to you because they've seen what you do and that you've got this book and this podcast and you talk about all this stuff like health and mental well-being and, and all of that, mm. they come to you because of that connection, because they want to know how you did something. So I think it's really odd to cut all that out and yeah. just be, you know, give nothing you of yourself like back. I, I like <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, they, 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 you know, they do say like you find your own style, your own balance of what you do. And I think that's very much me as well, because I think given that I talk about being yourself so much and this freedom now that I have got being myself, if I'm a total pure coach, I feel like you lose that a little bit. Mm. It's because you have to take that step back. So bringing the mentoring back in, I think, works well for me. And it's working well for the clients I've got so far. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I, I have been reflecting that I've mostly worked with mentor coach people um, because when I, I have had a few pure coach coaching sessions recently from a person who's been trained by the same people you're being trained by. Mm. And I found it really, really weird. It is, I'm isn't like, it? I'm just like, you're not, you're not giving me anything back here. No. <laughs> this is, no. feels closer to therapy than coaching. Um but it's just a different, different style, I guess. And I suppose I, I'm personally more drawn to the mentoring. Mm. I, you know, I do enjoy being told what to do. Um. <laughs> well, that's it. And some, I think when you like, I'm obviously going to be coaching business owners, freelancers, self-employed, and most of them come to you because they're stuck in their business. So they don't want you to just go. So what do you think you can do? They want some input of yeah. ideas to just spark something off. Yeah. Um, you know, and even like today in my peer coaching session, where again, I'm still supposed to be peer coach. By the end, I've said, right, I'm going to step out of the coaching mode. Let's just go into mentoring. Have you thought about this? And she was like, that's what I needed. And if yes. I hadn't done that, she would have left that session being like, session. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it is really interesting that like the, the difference between it and how this pure coaching is so valued when actually, a, depending on your audience, I think you've got to have a mixture. Um, it's yeah. the same with, you know, like health and um, wellness, fitness, you know, people who have hired somebody to help them with their eating or their wellness or their sleep or whatever, they really do want to know how you did it. <laughs> 
um, and whether how you managed it is going to work for them, um, at least as a jumping off point. Um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, and that comes back to that niching thing, doesn't it? Because, like, you know, there's a few perspectives on that in the coaching, and, and one of the trainers said, like, about why niche? Because you can technically, you've got the skills to coach anyone. but And it's like, yeah, but I don't want to. And also, again, it comes back to that thing of people need to relate to me. Someone mm. com- comes to me wanting to be coached on something that I have no idea of or opinion of. Yeah, I could do it, but it wouldn't fire me up. And you put that energy to show, even if you are that removed kind of, entity just shutting down on the other side of a camera so yeah I think it's really important to it's it's rapport isn't it it's building rapport with people which you need conversation to do that yeah yeah it's really interesting so all those out there (laughs) if you're thinking of going with a coach (laughs) do your research and for a start make sure they've done some training Uh, because it is a um, unthinged profession yeah yeah but, um, anyway. Similarly, in book coaching, you know, true, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, anyone can publish a book and decide that they can teach somebody else to publish the book, right? Yeah. Um, so, do you think everyone has a book in them? I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think everyone has stories and. Uh, and and has the ability to share them but there are so many ways that people relate to people and you know you know some people are much more into this kind of podcast this you know speaking this listening kind of format and connecting and sharing that way you know writing a book is quite a solitary process for a good half of the time um, before you get your team involved to help you make the best book that you can. Um, you have to be a certain type of person to write a book. Mm. And that's why, I mean, there's that stat, right, that, you know, 85% of people want to write a book and 5% actually do or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those made-up stats, but, you know, it's one that if you Google around, you'll find something similar to it. Probably in truth, I mean, the amount of people since I've had mine out that have messaged me or said, like, oh, well, I want to write a book or, oh, I'm writing a book. And I'll be intrigued to see how many of them actually come to fruition because, like you say as well, some people start writing and think, actually, this is not the path I want to be on. And, And the first book I wrote, that highlighted to me that I just didn't want to write about that topic, didn't it? I was started off writing a book about e-learning and then, and that was months before I'd even met you, I think, and then just kind of come to a halt with it. And I realised it was because I, ju- I just didn't have the fire to write in me about that. And yeah. that stuff's out there. So then I, you know, found the actual, what shall I call it, true calling or something like that. <laughs> something <laughs> equally cheesy. <laughs> but you've got to find it because if I'd written that first book, that would have had no personality in it, no enjoyment I don't think and what a difference to you know the one that has actually come out of yeah of that process and yeah I might go back to that book one day but I doubt it because my career has also gone in a different trajectory now but um and it's and it's not to say that you know if you did you know you, say you decide to write a book and a second book in a couple years time and that is significantly different because you've grown and changed as a person, you know. Mm. It's not to say that somebody's first book is a mistake if they do get all of the way to the end. Um, But a book can really 
really show you um like so you're, you're deep in your business you're writing things down you're having to find the words to explain the things that you're teaching to people um you're having to get super clear on things and you're getting super clear on those things with being the person that you are at the beginning of your journey um whereas in a few years time you're a different person you'll have different experiences um and then you might be prouder of your second book rather than your first book that <laughs> books are a snapshot in time really particularly ones in this kind of business genre unless you've got some kind of universal thing i'm thinking like atomic habits or um yeah. or some some books like that 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 teach you things you know all of these current books on um digital minimalism and things like that you know things that are ve- books that are very very practical that teach you something you know those yeah. kinds of books kind of stand the test of time um but the you know but other books that may be a little bit more story driven by a coach or a business owner um you know their toolkits might move on the way that they help people might evolve and become more powerful um mm. often these books are just a snap a snapshot in time that capture the person that you were when you wrote the book at the certain point in the business that you were at yeah and that that's true because I mean when you think I mean mine was only out uh, eight months ago mm. and like I was going through it to pick something out the other day and then realized that like I talk about my values in the book and they're different now I really I've, yeah because I've working with a coach myself and yeah I've um, revisited them and I've actually drilled down much deeper they were very surface level when I wrote the book and I literally only just formed them at the time so maybe a year and a bit ago and now they're much more about what rather than where I am they're about where I want to be now Mm. so they have evolved and it's not to say that those ones in the book are different as such I've just gone that bit deeper instead of just saying like environment or something like that it's much more purposeful and I've picked out specific things like that I want to use my voice to make a change and things like that but yeah yeah it's so it's it's been really interesting like the, the couple of times I've been flicking through and gone that's changed now and and even the reflective activities at the end because of my coach training now I would probably ask different questions or more questions or frame them differently I don't know um and it's not to say they're wrong that are in there it's just that I now know more yeah so yeah it will probably evolve or there'll be a different edition or I'm glad you said next book in two years because people keep saying is it coming out this year I'm like I've got a rough plan that is it (laughs) <laughs> and the the ten thousand words I pulled out of book one to potentially go in book two, but God knows they're a right mess in a word document. So, yeah, two years maybe. <laughs> but then oh. I also have another book that I started writing at one point about all my calamities, of like all the stupid things I get myself into and, and all of that. And like the girl that does my nails keeps saying, "Please finish this book because it's just <laughs> ridiculous. I need to because like she's always talking about it. And I'm like, oh, did I tell you about the time in Vietnam when I nearly got kidnapped? And she's just like, Jesus, get this stuff in a book. <laughs> and so I actually, I quite want to write that one next. That would be but, fun. Yeah. And <laughs> it would people be are going to be like, I don't believe this, Helen. Not this <laughs> amount of stuff. You've been struck by lightning. You've been in an earthquake. You've done, yes, all the things. <laughs> oh, God. And you could hook that around survival and, you know, and the yeah. kind of stuff that you're going through. Yeah, true. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, so it's one of my, I'm going to dig it back out because I'd even written all the chapters, headings of like all the different stories. Like, so there's like a section of animal based calamities. There's the travel calamities. <laughs> there's the in the home, how many times I've fallen down the stairs this year calamity type stuff. And, you know, it's, I quite like it. I, just, I think it's probably the one that I'll do in between before I go back onto the, what I call the hardcore stuff again. But um, I'm giving all my secrets away here. Well, well, yeah, I'd be interested well, to see if people also, want this. You're also growing an audience <laughs> who <laughs> yeah. are going to be desperate to read that book, Helen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did you have your eyes scratched by a sloth and a koala? <laughs> <laughs> Where was this penguin that was sick on Graham's shoe? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Gosh, all of these little little breadcrumbs that you're dropping, Helen. Oh, see, you better set see. up. You better set up a wait list for your next book stat. <laughs> Most that crowdfunding. <laughs> do hey, it. I do. Actually, <laughs> I do, you know. If you could spur me on to get back writing in the sessions rather than social media. But um yeah, anyway, totally lost my train of thought now because I'm thinking about sloths. <laughs> crowdfunding, yeah. Well, yeah, in fact, if I crowdfund for the book, it might fund the sloth trip to Costa Rica in February. So <laughs> You take Should some book, really. photos there of you with a sloth, hopefully not getting scratched in the eye. So. Yeah, well, you shouldn't you shouldn't touch them because it gives them out attack, apparently. Oh, so no, I know that now. No. 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 So what was I going to ask you then? Oh, yeah. One thing you referred to in that was about uh, like having a proper team around you that you should pass the book on to as well. And obviously from the offset of writing the book, I was like, I'm going to do a proper job of this. I'm not just writing a book to wang it up on my website as a PDF, which no judgment if people do that, that's fine. But I wanted to be a proper author and do a real job. Yeah. So why do you think people should invest and do their book properly in that way? What could it actually do for them if they did? Well, I think it just gets you closer to the traditional publishing standard. You know, there's not just one person at HarperCollins who's doing every single part of your book there's you know there's an editor copy editor um there's their boss yeah (laughs) you know you know if you've done an illustrated book um or you're putting some pictures in it there's somebody else doing the picture research or or doing the illustrations um there's an cover designer there's an internal designer there's a proofreader there's an indexer there's a sales team um there's all sorts of people you know you know probably 30 or 40 people have a stakehold in your book if you go down the traditional publishing house process um and it just blows my mind that people think that self-publishing is a one-stop shop because people aren't trained to do all of these things um and if you think as an author that you can turn around and do all of these things yourself you've got quite the shock yeah (laughs) coming your way um so I I really believe that there are a minimum amount of people that should be involved in writing a book so that's you the author some form of editor, some form of proofreader who is different to your editor because you want to have at least two different sets of eyes on your book and some kind of book designer. Um, People call it, you know, formatter, which I think actually takes away from the Mm -hmm. skill of the graphic designer who um, 
is going to lay your book out, who's going to do your cover design appropriately. Um, book formatter. I mean, that just smacks of here, 70 pounds on Fiverr to get mm. my, my Word document looking like a book. Um, that's not the kind of book that I'm here for. I'm yeah. here for good books that you invest in because you believe in your words enough that they're going to change somebody's life. Um, and you're, you know, massive testament of that, Helen. I mean, blinking award winner <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you put, you know, you mm. put time and effort and investment into your book and, you know, highly commended at the business. I saw that wall of books of all of the people that had submitted their books to, yeah. you know, and then I remember, I was, and you, I was like, oh, amazing, you're shortlisted, Helen. I know. <laughs> I was like, that's enough. <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to get super excited that you're going to win. <laughs> I was like, you know, you should be super proud of yourself. And then I was just like, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, but it's amazing achievement. And then all um, of a sudden, here's the award in your hands. Yeah, well, I mean, I still can't. And, and the thing is, it's testament to doing the pro- job properly because it was the only shortlist, self-published book that was yes. shortlisted. Well, that won, sorry, not shortlisted. So, yes, I've invested a fortune in it and I will not make that money back for a while. But like, like I say, it's about the other work it brings in anyway. But doing a proper job led to that recognition and it's led to a whole new world of opportunities now and yeah being much more confident about about the whole process and meeting a lot of other authors and publishers and all sorts of things and yeah yeah, I mean I never obviously the whole package right it was the work that you did on the words the way that you, because I, I read the report, the, the way that you um, made it accessible and useful and, um, you know, the way that somebody could pick it up and actually learn something from it, plus the entire package of the amazing cover with the cover designer that you hired and the wonderful insides that aren't just your standard, um, you know, typeset fiction style book or, you know, non-fiction book out there that just have, the heading in a heading size font and all of the rest of it um you know you you made that book a complete project a complete Mm. process and you had help along the way for sure um but you drove that you you know you're you're a project manager you know at heart I'm sure (laughs) Um, <laughs> don't affect that. Don't, don't want to do that as a job. <laughs> well, but your book was a project that yeah, you was, yeah. managed through this process. You know that I think, I think I remember you saying that there are a few blips trying to get it uploaded to Ingram Spark. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that problem. Um, like I, I when I went to upload um, my next client's book, I was thinking, oh, Helen told me this took hours, <laughs> and. Two minutes later, everything was fine. But um, you, but you know about the metadata and stuff. Whereas I had to then go and look up all that and what I had to write and all that kind of form all that information. And that was what took time of me going, "Well, what on earth? Which topic am I entering? In which area here? And what areas does it need to be listed under on Amazon?" And oh god, yeah, that just took a so long to do that. And then I did have technical issues with the file just because of me doing this different approach. Obviously, that made it harder to get it just 
formatted right and uploaded without it breaking it. Mm. Um, but to fair play to Hannah, my internal designer, because she was moving house the day it had to, that it was going to publication and they then decided to reject the file and she got her Mac back off the removal van to fix it for me and then send it over and move house. And I was just, oh, bless it. She's absolute trooper, she was. Because I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine, don't worry. And she was like, no, I'm doing this. I'm getting this right. I mean, that's so. the other thing. When you've got a team around you, you, you have people invested in the process, right? And yeah. it's not just you trying to sort out Oh gosh, you know, if anyone wants a laugh, go and join the Ingrams Park Authors Group. Oh um, my goodness, yes. <laughs> it could put you off writing a book. I mean, it, it really could. <laughs> oh, that was the group in which uh, I think it was getting right towards the end of the process, and I asked a question in there. And then I screenshotted a guy's answers and sent them to you because he was going, Anyone that's got a secondary education can write a book and you've got Word and you've got spell check. You do not need proofreaders. You do not need editors. You do not need that. So I was just like straight back at him going, yeah, well, I'd love to see this book. And so then he started sending me like screenshots of all his like 17 books or something. And look at these, look at this, look at this. You, you don't need a designer. You like a picture of your award. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I was looking at his book covers and he was going, see, I did this myself in, in like word art or something. And I was like, yeah, you can, I can tell. <laughs> Jesus. You don't need, it's the words that count, doesn't matter what the cover looks like. I was like, have you ever heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover? But it really does. People do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just... Especially oh, I mean... it's a tiny thumbnail anyway on, you know, for, for the most part that people are yeah. making a choice of the book that they're going to buy. And look at what's come out of my book cover now that Vanessa did that that's like my logo for my company basically that I pulled all that out the styling the branding everything has come and that ran through the rest of the book when Hannah designed it as well so you know that that didn't just become a book cover in the end that's become my identity so yeah yeah it, it really does depend on how much you value that book and that end product that's going to be out there in the world doesn't it it's it's to me, it wasn't That's just an a book. interesting thing, though. You had to step into your identity as an author. And I know that you did that, you know, for the year before with your with your habits that you were building mm. with them. Um, right 52. The, yeah, right 52. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then, and then you know, the, the daily stepping into the being an author thing. And then your book has become your identity and your new job and your brand identity. Like, it, it's all kind of a multi-stranded rope just kind of getting mm. stronger and stronger and taking you down this new path yeah it's, it's, it's evolved for sure <laughs> <laughs> I mean to the point where a few weeks ago I was considering dropping learning design entirely just because I am even though I've segmented my week and you know my time management is on it trying to do all these different things is very difficult and it was getting a bit too much so I thought, do I just drop that? And I, because I'd had a couple of rough projects as well, I, you know, I was feeling a bit deflated. But then a, a great project has come along and it actually gave me a bit of energy and excitement again. So I'm like, no, actually, I am sticking with this. It was just well, the circumstances. Well, you're with but, the people you work with. Exactly, which is why I say I've just niche now. And I, yeah. funnily enough, I'm now going to be creating e-learning about a lot of the personality profiling and stuff that we do as a coach and things like that. So it's all... It is all time stuff. So it's it's funny how these things work. But if you just kind of 
keep your options open and I'm always saying this to people keep your options open to see what comes along it's it's incredible not and I'm, by this I'm not saying you know take on the anything and everything it is to keep your options open and learn to say no to the stuff you don't want mm. and yeah so I mean I started for them last week and we've still not got going yet but at the same time <laughs> I've seen the stuff I will be doing. yeah well exactly <laughs> I've just been like you know <laughs> I'm, well doing a lot of other stuff but uh, yeah it's it's so true though and I think it's it's having the value in the process and the, and the wanting to do a real job, which can then pay the dividends. I think if you, you know, follow one of these things of write your book in 30 days, get it done, get it published in 30 days. I'm like, what? I mean, even if you did it full time, you are not taking that through the full process. You are not giving it yeah. that development time. I mean, when I look at that shitty first draft, as we kept talking to, to the end, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to the end products, it's almost rec- unrecognizable from that massive editing process I went through where I self-edited yeah. and restructured it all, then gave it to you and on the proofreader and all of that. It, it turned into a totally different book from that first draft. So we just still got you, somewhere. When did you start to feel like you were a proper author along the way? Like, was it, uh, was it seeing the cover? Was it when it was in pages? Was it after the second draft? Or was it, I think you know? The cover was a real moment of like, oh my God, this is actually happening. And then when I got the book sample sent by the colour printers, yeah. um, I mean, I did that reel. I was so excited on that reel of just like bouncing about with these books. So I think I started to then, but I think it was really cemented on that awards evening. I think I, you can actually see in the picture, it wasn't just the Prosecco, but the picture they took of me <laughs> on screen, I'm almost glazed over. And yes, my eye had started to go that week and like um, I'd had a few Proseccos by then, but yeah. the total shock of just what the hell and also now I've got to have my picture taken. Like, <laughs> so you're saying that you didn't actually feel like a proper author until it was properly acknowledged by the awards I think I did but I think that's just now given it that extra confidence in because I mean get that's the kind of thing that people why people really want a traditional publishing deal right they want somebody mm. to say somebody that they consider important enough to say well done we believe in you enough that we want to give you money to write your book um and I guess that was a similar kind of acknowledgement from peers and from judges against mm. I don't know it's interesting I think it was just next level I think I did feel like an author when I'd seen, seen the book and then when things like Amazon reviews starts come in and you can see it on these websites like Amazon and bookshop honestly that was the one that was a nightmare as well wasn't it trying to get it oh, listed it on there is, yeah <laughs> um there. I still haven't worked that out oh and the other one obviously when I got it stocked in the bookshop in Howarth obviously in Bronte country with taking them a little sticker to say award-winning <laughs> they've just arrived I think 20 minutes ago <laughs> so I just had the the post box go um yeah so I will be going down with them but but yeah to to, for it to then just be stacked alongside all these huge authors in the bookshop in Howarth where there's nostalgia if anyone wants to go in bronze country where the bronze sisters you know lived um yeah that was a real kind of like oh my god this is incredible and I actually took Hannah the book designer there and we went for lunch and then I took her to the bookshop as well just to show her and yeah, it was really nice. And have a similar experience. You should. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That's interesting, though, that it, it is an incremental process into mm. stepping. 
because I spoke to some I've spoken to somebody who has written three books and she still doesn't call herself an author Mm. (laughs) yeah I didn't put author on my profile until I think it was till it was published and then I was still a bit like "Mm, I don't know feel a bit icky uh and then I was like do I just call myself a writer or call myself an author um but then obviously now it says award-winning author so hell no (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll have to go back through the recording and screenshot that face (laughs) (laughs) oh god that means I do not want that going out there (laughs) oh Oh, right okay not like horrific cackle (laughs) face or something (laughs) that's it so would you write a book oh you might you said you might write you say you're writing a book are we joking you know what I reckon I reckon I might but it's one of those boring you know here's how you write a book why do you want to write a book kind of things but but that's okay because I suppose you know like I say to all of the people that come to work with me you know the idea of a book in this kind of space is to bring people into your world and Mm. for them to get to know you and get to know the way that you work and your process and your stories and for them to then choose you rather than choose one of the many other coaches or book coaches or book mentors whatever out there Um, I reckon that might be some of the issue that I've had with trying to finish my course content because it is such a big project and maybe I actually have been writing a book and I haven't been acknowledging that um yeah so I mean not saying that you know obviously the course content needs to have needs to be much more detailed than a book is going to be but some of the blogs that I've been writing recently I've been thinking to myself that could definitely be part of a chapter of book um and I am stepping into my voice and my stories a little bit more. And I feel like mm. I'm finding I'm finding a space for myself and my difference. And that's and that's really what you want in a very crowded online business space, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've seen your like yeah. with your newsletters and your message and all that, it's really evolved recently, like like you say, including stories and and that whole side of yeah giving more of you and stuff and that it's it's nice that to see it kind of take that evolution really yeah because it's I suppose something we're all supposed to do really isn't it (laughs) but then at the same time you think and this was the deliberation I had with the book wasn't it of how much of it do I give of me and how much of it is about the the end person the reader or the client or whatever and that was such a hard balance to find because I remember at one point you said you need to put more of you in it. I was like, I've just took a load out thinking it was too I much. I say that to me. everybody. That's the most <laughs> yeah. the most common thing that I say. <laughs> well, the fact that I'd gone through and taken a load out, and I was just like, oh my god, right, I'll put it back in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. Yeah. yeah. No, that that was a big hurdle to get past, though, to feel like you you kind of okay to share more and more of you and, and stuff but like you say at the end of the day that's hopefully why people come to you and that is the one of the biggest things that I keep getting feedback on of people saying when I read it I can hear your voice and I can because I know who you are and and just because of the way it's written and stuff like that and it really helps the readability of it for you know people who are probably quite stressed and read enough dry content during the day as it is yeah they can pick up something that actually resonates a bit more and 
Um, the amount of people that have said, like, I thought you was talking to me directly. And I'm like, good, that's that's a good yes. sign. You're my people. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's the thing that you want people to say to you. And that's why you put the stories in, because, you know, the stories are what help people to know who you are, to get to know you, but also that make the teaching points stick. Mm. Um, you know, Brené Brown does it. You know, she has a whole staff of research and then she drops 600 word story in about a personal experience I mean it's why I, I talk about foreboding joy all the time because I just the, the two stories that she tells make me always think about that kind of tipping point between being happy but not being too happy because you know the car's mm. going to come knock you over or the gunman's going to jump out from behind the hedge and you know completely plow your life into nothing um and I remember that because of the stories that she tells and you know these there's a reason why storytellers were so important in communities um you know going all mm. the way back that stories are the glue that hold us together and taking the stories out of books even the non-fiction ones they're the books that aren't gonna have any longevity and not mm. going to do much for you because you, you know, a, a book is an experience between you and the person reading your book, but it is also the beginning of a community and interaction. Anyway, it's all stuff that I'm oh, I love about. that. There's a little sign bite for the, <laughs> for the promo. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. But like, as a final question then. How does it feel for you when you see these books out in the world that you've worked on then and, you know, maybe winning awards and stuff? Mm, winning awards. Oh. I love it. I love it. Honestly, mm. I felt really nervous for you and <laughs> really excited for you at the same time. And, you know, the other week I was in a room with um, another author who was interacting with her readers and it was so powerful to hear the kinds of things that you were saying. You know, the, the thing that people say to you is, like, I thought you were speaking to me you've given me the permission to feel not alone in the things that I was feeling um, because I can see that you've been through it as well. These are the really powerful things that a well-written business book can do. Mm. And it, it's worth taking the time to do it because, you know, you want, I mean, you want clients and you want to help people, but you you mostly want to help people the people I work with mostly want to help people yeah no I think that's a big difference yeah with I say the 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 type of books people want to write of whether it's doing something for them as a person or or their business or other people and that's yeah those that invest the time the money the energy the tears the tantrums the ups and downs they're the ones that probably the way of what, what it feels like to write a book Helen <laughs> hey that was all the emotion all the emotion in there my goodness <laughs> oh marvellous so uh the quick fire end questions first one being name someone our listeners should connect with or follow oh, I'm gonna uh, suggest Lisa Barry. She is doing some amazing things around actually taking your words and your content and turning them into 
real, actual, physical, tangible ways to help people. Um, you know, she's a content marketer who can see all of the crappy practices, um, <laughs> calls them out, and but has that personal integrity to still go and protest outside banks and <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> and all of those kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. And she's driven by hope, and I love that. Yeah. Oh, she. Yeah. This. I mean, the, the, the first thing that enamoured me with Lisa was her rants, which I love when she can get on one of those. But then, like, you find out there's so much more substance to it than that when you get to know her. And, yeah, she's she's doing incredible stuff. And she's another one that has evolved massively the last couple of years. And, yeah, it's really interesting to watch that. And even if I feel like it is a far from times because I've still not actually done her course fully. But, um, yeah, no, it's just, she's doing amazing stuff. So name a resource that you have found really helpful, whether it's a book, a podcast, community. You know what? I'm the, the hardest thing for me when I was making that jump from my identity as a freelancer to my identity as a self-employed person was the whole switch around how to market myself and and how to how to use social media in a way to um, to present myself and my business appropriately. And I really learnt the basics from Helen Pritchard. And, oh, yes. Mm. And, I mean, it, it's a while ago now, um, but at the time she was what I needed. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that I wouldn't be where I am today without having learned how to do marketing from somebody like Helen Pritchard. So I do recommend her, but I do mostly recommend fine learning marketing as a skill. It's a skill. It's not something that you know how to do. You have to go and learn it. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And even when you think you've got the basics down, you suddenly realize there's a whole nother level to that. <laughs> and because I think even like, I'd been promoting the business and stuff, obviously marketing it, doing the book marketing was a different kettle of fish. That was a whole new way of learning to do stuff. And I'm still learning that side, I must admit, and planning and, well, do I plan? No, I don't. Let's not, let's not <laughs> pretend I do. I try to. Books well, are tricky know. though, because there's a whole extra layer of PR and, um, yeah. you know, there are two people, when it comes to book resources, um, there's a, a PR called Isabel Knight who I recommend people to mm. and there's another PR person um, called Katie Sadler who is a proper book marketer who's just gone um, who's really just switched her focus to helping self-published authors um, together I think those two are the dream team yes they are yeah because obviously I did Isabel's course for the the book PR and then Katie I've had a few like bits of chats with her and actually I've got it down for next podcast hopefully I'm gonna next series sorry I'm gonna hopefully prod her but she's got I'm a do, even I'm seeing her at swimming in 20 minutes I'll ask her all oh, right well <laughs> <laughs> no she's doing great stuff and she's um I remember messaging her saying hers was the first league magnet I ever downloaded that I thought my god this is brilliant and it was really mm -hmm. helpful so if anyone wants to know about promoting a book get on and get her lead magnet as a starting point because it was 
actually really useful. It was something like 50 ways to promote your book without social media or something. Yeah. And it was just, it was just really good. And it was a nice thing of, oh, thank God I don't have to just sit at this computer and do it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so finally, pick a number between one and 19 and it'll be a potentially nonsense 12. question. Oh. If you could instantly gain a new skill or ability, what would it be? Um, speaking to my kids in such a way that they respect <laughs> me and mostly do what they say the first time that I ask them. Um, <laughs> quite, quite specific and niche at the moment. That's yes. where my life is at. Because <laughs> the way you paused after speaking, I thought you were going to say a certain language. Or that, no, <laughs> speaking to my children so they bloody well listen. I like it. I think there's probably a lot of people will be listening to this going, oh, yes, definitely. That one. <laughs> my kids are 11, 9 and 5. Um <laughs> Can we add in other halves as well? Husbands? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that once I get the basics of that skill down, it probably True. could could be expanded. But I'm going to stay niche to start yeah. off with. Um, don't want to. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I, I probably should. Maybe family. That's a good enough niche that, that brings yeah. my other half in as well. Transferable skills. We're all about those. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that on your CV? I actually speak in a way my children listen. People would be like, <laughs> I reckon that might get hire. you a, an interview. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it would. That's brilliant. Love it. Oh, right. Well, do you want to tell us where's best to connect with you? Sure. You can find me um, on LinkedIn, um, on Facebook, on Instagram. I have a newsletter that comes out monthly, although. I haven't been that consistent with it the last two months, but I will be back <laughs> on it soon. Uh, I do email every week um, yeah. some particular story about my publishing experience. So it's not like I neglect my mailing list, guys. Um, but in general, you can find me at right now with Erin Chamberlain. Um, and I will have a website very soon, which will be erinchamberlain.com. Uh, yeah, okay. I know. Fancy. Uh, and as a um, is there anything you want to promote coming up? Have you got any of your things starting or room for new clients? Or you? I do. I have. Yeah. I have room, probably for one or two more one-to-one -one clients um, coming up to the summer. And if I say it here, I'm actually going to have to do it, won't I? I'm. I'm going to run a summit. Helen, oh, you're going to yes. be invited to yeah. come and talk at it. <laughs> and to ask you about um, it. <laughs> I've been talking about it for ages, but it's going to mm -hmm. happen. Um, I'm going to run a summit in July. <laughs> in July. It's July this week, Erin. It's July this week. I know, I know. <laughs> Late July, um, before the kids break up. Basically, I'm going to run a summit in about three weeks' time um, just to help people explore whether it's the right time for them to write a book or not and to get them thinking about it before everybody gets slammed by everybody launching something new in September yeah. um, um, you know most people decide to write a book if you decide to write a book in September you will have it published the following year that was your yeah. experience I think Helen yeah and it's a yeah. nice time frame to do it in like you know start September October-ish look to publish Q4 the following year um, yeah. 
then it's not a rush and you do a good book you might even win an award you never know Um, so yes look out it's never gonna get old that is it it's never gonna get old (laughs) free the rebels (laughs) i think you should yeah we need pictures more pictures yeah (laughs) fabulous well thanks so much that's been lovely Oh, talking about books for for an hour. I really enjoyed it. I always get a bit (laughs) terrified about what I'm going to say before a podcast, and then I really enjoy it and probably don't ever listen back just in case. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I've stopped doing that actually. I used to do to check, but now I'm just like, no, don't. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. And uh, well, I'll be catching up with you soon in the next writing session. (laughs) Absolutely. I will see you then. Let's start writing about bunny scratching your eyes out. so many of those stories (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will come back for more please do leave a review on your platform of choice and hit subscribe to be notified when the next episodes are available and sign up to the last rung newsletter over at fallingofftheladder.com for more tips, inspiration and chats with those who have been there and tested the waters for you. If there's anyone in particular you'd like to hear on this podcast or topics discussed, do let me know and I'll see what I can do. Until next time, have a good week.